I love a scandal. To watch the world burn and lose their minds after finding out the fine print eliminated another's entitlement. Or an ironic twist where a saint becomes a Satan. I especially love it when this involves those within the third sector. For years the greedy and evil have hidden behind the good name charity for too long. I myself a witness to these wrongdoings, decided to create a podcast to uproot their stories buried just a little too soon in the archive. Uncharitable is a narrative, storytelling podcast about true crimes and questionable practices related to that third sector. So join me, host Odea, as I attempt to smoke out the walls that dress in a sheep's clothing. Seek us wherever you find your podcasts. Or consider contributing to the community on Instagram, Reddit or X. You're listening to True Crime Feed. Welcome to True Crime Feed. I'm your chief pod investigator, Angela Ferrari. Each week on my show, I select one of my favorite underrated true crime podcasts and do a deep dive recap. I will also present my weekly top three podcast power ranking of shows currently trending on the top 100 charts that I think are worth your attention. Up first on the docket, here's a show from the archives I think you will really enjoy. Let's discuss the case for Sympathy Pains from Neon Hum Media and iHeartRadio. Here's a synopsis. For 20 years, Sarah DeLashmitt told people around her that she had cancer, muscular dystrophy, and other illnesses. She used a wheelchair and posted selfies from a hospital bed. She told friends and co-workers she was trapped in abusive relationships or that she was the mother of children who had died. But it was all a con. Sympathy was both her great need and her powerful weapon. But unlike most scams, she didn't want people's money. She was after something far more valuable. Before you listen to this series, go to thetruecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. Let's just say the subject of today's show, our girl Sarah Delashmate, has a lot of looks. Now, let's jump into Sympathy Pains. Right away, we are in expert hands with host Laura Beal. You may remember her reporting on Bad Batch and Dr. Death. Definitely check out those shows if you haven't already. And I finally got to put a face to the voice of Laura Beale when I was digging up visual aids for this week's show. I always thought her voice sounded just like the actress Mary Steenburgen. You totally know her. She's the one that plays the mom on Elf. Now that I told you this, you won't be able to disassociate their unique, endearing vocal similarities. But it'll help lighten your listen, because this podcast gets real dark bonkers, y'all. It's also pretty much impossible to tell this story in chronological order because Sarah has multiple lives and relationships happening at the same time. I will do my best to keep things organized, but it's a real thumbtack entangled yarn all over the corkboard situation over here. So, first, let's go away to college at Southern Illinois University. Go Saluki Dogs! It's the fall of 2003, and a young Sarah DeLashmitt meets her sweetmates. They go by pseudonyms in the podcast. It gets a little confusing to distinguish who is who, so let's call them all Emily. 
Things are all going well with the roommates. They're getting along. And then Sarah gets some devastating news. She has been diagnosed with leukemia. Her roommates vow to support her, especially Emily, who shaves her head in solidarity with Sarah. But oh wait, Sarah never actually loses her hair. Instead, she claims to have gotten in a terrible car accident over the summer break. Her spine has been fused. Sarah is in excruciating pain and confined to a heavy manual wheelchair and a back brace. Her roommates are devastated for her. How many things could go wrong for one person? I mean, what are the odds? Then Sarah and not her real name Emily get into a fight. It sounded like typical roommate squabbles, but knowing what we know now about Sarah, my guess is we're going to be team Emily on this one. Sarah moves out, and the Emilys don't see or hear from her in a while. Then, a few weeks later, Emily opens the door to the cafeteria to see Sarah. Upright and walking around. No wheelchair. No back brace. Emily stands frozen as they make eye contact. Her brain can't process what she's seeing. Sarah looks right through her with a blank stare and walks by without saying a word. She casually strolls up the stairs with ease. The leukemia, the car wreck, the injury, all lies. And Sarah DeLashmit is just getting warmed up. All right, before we move on, I'm going to warn you, Sarah lies about some of the most tragic and heartbreaking things a human being can endure. If you or someone you've loved have had to deal with one or more of these experiences, you are going to feel furious at Sarah's behavior. So we're going to take some of the power back, and together, let's bask in the complete absurdity of this situation. So I want you to pull out an imaginary bingo card and fill out each square with the worst things that can happen to someone. We're going to lay down a chip for every deranged, disturbing, demented lie Sarah tells. Got it? It's Twisted True Crime Bingo time! Next, let's pack our bags and go to camp. We meet a kind volunteer named Bethany who works as a counselor at Camp Summit in Texas. This is a camp that provides barrier-free outdoor experiences for children and adults with disabilities. And for many campers, it's the highlight of their whole year, like a sacred community for them. It's here at Camp Summit where counselor Bethany meets a new camper named Sarah. Ugh, you know where this is going. Sarah is confined to a wheelchair. She has muscular dystrophy and requires assistance from Bethany getting dressed and bathing. She also needs help getting into bed and going to the bathroom. The two become very close and develop a long-distance friendship after camp comes to an end. Bethany is experiencing some trouble in her personal life. She finds out she's pregnant. Things are very unstable for her. She gets emotional comfort from her camp friend, Sarah. They text dozens of times a day. Bethany feels so lucky to have Sarah's unwavering support. But she does find it a little odd that Sarah keeps asking for so many ultrasound photos. More on that later. Bethany is anxiously getting ready for her new life as a single mother. Sarah is anxiously awaiting for camp to start again. She attends the spring session while Bethany is away on maternity leave. 
Then Bethany gets a call from the director at Camp Summit. She immediately thinks, oh no, a former camper has succumbed to their illness. But instead, Bethany gets news she never could have fathomed. You see, a pastor showed up at camp. He was there on behalf of Sarah's family trying to track her down. The pastor broke the news to the staff at Camp Summit that Sarah was faking her disabilities. It's a pattern she keeps repeating. The family has tried everything to get her help, but Sarah won't stop. Everyone at Camp Summit is stunned. They can't believe it. But this guy had receipts. You see, during the winter in between camp sessions, the completely immobile Sarah had done her fair share of alpine skiing. He showed the staff photos of her on the slopes. I scoured the internet looking for a photo of Sarah skiing, but I couldn't find a verified one. So let's visualize the family pastor handing over a photo of Sarah DeLashmit launching off a snow jump and doing a midair spread eagle in her skis. Imagine you were on staff and just spent all week taking care of this person you thought was basically paralyzed from the waist down. Then you see this photo. The pastor and the staff tracked down Sarah who was still at the camp. She immediately recognized the family pastor and knew she had been caught. So without a word, she gets up from her wheelchair and walks into his van to go home. No apology, no explanation, nothing. Bethany is hearing all this over the phone. She can't believe it. I mean, could you? And where do you go from here? How about church? Let's go to Virginia to a church supper where we meet Naomi, not her real name. She is a 19-year-old youth group church choir member who strikes up a conversation with a woman who seems in need of a friend. The woman told Naomi her name was Sarah. Sarah stood out being one of the only white people at this predominantly black church community supper. Naomi was so welcoming and listened to her story. You see, Sarah was pregnant and she had a very abusive boyfriend. Naomi immediately rallies around Sarah, helping to support her in this time of great need. A few text messages here and there soon turn into dozens each day. It is emotionally draining. Then Sarah suffers a miscarriage. Naomi is heartbroken for her friend. But then Sarah gets pregnant again. Wow, and only a month later. Naomi is exhausted from the emotional roller coaster of being Sarah's friend. And then Naomi suffers a tragedy of her own. Her good friend's brother is killed and Naomi's gonna sing at his funeral. Instead of supporting Naomi in her time of need for a change, Sarah has a total meltdown the day of the service and refuses to let Naomi leave her side. Naomi misses her friend's funeral. Then the final straw comes when Sarah calls Naomi in a panic. She thinks she's having another miscarriage. Her usual paragraph long texts are being delivered one word at a time. Bleeding, pain, hospital. Naomi races to the hospital to be with her friend, but there's no record of her being admitted. She calls Sarah, I'm here, where are you? Sarah doesn't respond. Naomi never hears from her again. What the flying fork, right? 
Well, buckle up. We haven't even hit the inverted cobra loop roll of this roller coaster ride yet. Next, we meet Aaron. Aaron has cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair. Aaron first crosses paths with Sarah Delashmit at summer camp in California, where this time Aaron is the camper and Sarah is the counselor. This is the start of a friendship that will last over a decade, enduring many ups and many, many, many hardships. It all starts out good. Sarah tells Aaron her whole backstory. Sarah claims she grew up the child of wealthy doctors and was sent to boarding school where she learned how to ski. Now she's training for the Winter Olympics. But oh no, something happens. All right, time to get your bingo card handy. We have our chips already covering leukemia, car accident, and miscarriage. Get ready to put your next chip down on Ebola. That's right, Ebola. Yes, Sarah tells Aaron her Olympic dreams are tragically thwarted because she has contracted Ebola. This is before the outbreak in West Africa was making headlines in 2014. So how did Sarah get Ebola in St. Louis? From dissecting monkeys, duh! And also, Sarah can't talk right now because she needs to get put into a medically induced coma. So if you want to get in touch with her, you're going to have to go through her little sister Gabby. Got it? And that's exactly what good friend Erin does. She continues to get updates on Sarah's condition through her little sister Gabby. And the two become close. Because guess what? Gabby is in a wheelchair too. She has spinal muscular atrophy. Gabby and Aaron bond over their similarities. And hey, look, Sarah's awake now. But she lost her hearing and her ability to partially speak from the coma. Also, she has Guillain-Barre syndrome now. And also, also, she's in a wheelchair too. Other than that, things are great. Sarah, Gabby, and Aaron stay in touch. They even do fun three-way phone calls. How cool. But oh no, Gabby contracts pneumonia and tragically passes away. Aaron is devastated for Sarah's loss. But hey, look on the bright side. Now Sarah's pregnant with twins. But oh no, one of them died. And the other one needs surgery in utero. Sarah carries him to term and then he dies of a heart complication. You guys, I can barely get through this. The lies Sarah comes up with are so disturbing and beyond belief. These wackadoo twists and turns remind me of when I used to watch Guiding Light, the soap opera with my mother as a kid. Sarah would have been an excellent writer for Guiding Light. I know all these lies, they sound so ridiculous when you say them all back to back, but Erin hears them over the course of a decade, so she believes her friend. Sarah continues to get pregnant and have premature sick babies. She even gives birth to quads. One of the ways she is able to convince Aaron of all this, Sarah is a nurse in Oklahoma in a neonatal intensive care unit. She would take photos of sick infant patients and pass them off as her own children. In fact, she was also pretending to be pregnant at her nursing job. She was even caught stuffing pillows under her uniform to look pregnant. Eventually, she gets her nursing license revoked. Whatever. Sarah has better things to do, like attend Camp Summit with her bestie Erin as a fellow camper. 
But then Aaron's dad gets a call from the Camp Summit director. Sarah DeLashmitt has been faking her physical disability. And in fact, most everything she told Aaron over the last 10 years, her sister Gabby and her tragic death, her miscarriages, the Ebola, all lies. Aaron is completely shattered. Sarah moves on to Liz. Liz is a triathlete who volunteers at a charity bike ride for people battling cancer. She takes a photo of a gal crossing the finish line and texts her the photo. That's how Liz gets sucked into Sarah's sick, twisted soap opera world. Liz feels awful for Sarah, who is not only battling breast cancer, but she's doing it all alone while her husband is overseas. I think Sarah claims he's a pilot or an MMA fighter or a combination of the two. But in addition to that, Sarah is also dealing with a female stalker who wants Sarah out of the picture so she can have her hot skyfighter husband all to herself. More on that later. Sarah plans a visit from her home in Illinois to her new bestie Liz's house in Florida, where Liz, her husband, and her amazing mother Mags welcome her like family. Okay, so at this point, I think it's been established that Sarah has done some next level evil stuff. But I will say, to her credit, she has exquisite taste in quality human beings. Each person Laura Beale interviews in the series Sympathy Pains is so unbelievably kind and compassionate. My favorite voice from the series is Liz's mother, Mags, who I think is in her 70s at the time of this recording. Her voice and her tri-state accent is just so delightful. I'd want to be friends with Mags too. I'm not going to go to the same lengths as Sarah, but call me Mags. We'll play some bingo. Liz and her family treat Sarah so well that first night that guess what? Her flight home got canceled, so she's going to extend her stay. Sarah finally does go home, but then she comes back again the next week for a surprise. At this point, Liz's husband is getting a little irked and spells it out to Sarah. We have family coming into town. You can't come back next week, okay? What does Sarah do, y'all? She goes back again and crashes this family's reunion. Liz has to put the hammer down on Sarah and tells her she needs her space. Sarah finally gets the message and stays home. But oh no, her stalker is back. Sarah puts Liz on speakerphone and details her stalker following her into a Walmart. Oh no, there's a gun. And then the phone goes silent. Sarah later tells Liz that seven people were shot and she had been hit in the knee. Bingo! I got my last chip down on mass shooting. Ah, good game, everyone. Okay, now back to the story. Liz and her now skeptical husband immediately Google the incident. But weird, there's no news of any kind of shooting at a Walmart in this small Illinois town. Sarah's not surprised because the FBI wanted to keep the incident hush-hush. You see, this has all been part of a secret operation to lure the stalker to the Walmart in order to arrest her, okay? Little does Sarah know that Liz's husband has a friend in the FBI who says Sarah's whole story is complete cockamamie. In fact, he shares some extra dirt on Sarah, like the fact that her nursing license had been revoked. 
they break the news to national treasure and American hero Mama Mags, who is absolutely shooketh. Liz and her husband also connect with former victims of Sarah Delashmit. There are so many out there, you guys. It's unbelievable. The worst was an online support group Sarah infiltrated for people with spinal muscular atrophy. The community makes these special handmade blankets called Cole's Quilts. These quilts are a cherished honor in the group to receive. And Sarah is presented with one. She poses with her prized Cole's Quilt, her hands contorted as she expertly masquerades her fake disability. When members of the Spinal Muscular Atrophy Support Group find her out, they are furious and they want that quilt back. They try to go to law enforcement and the FBI. They all say they can't do anything at this point because Sarah hasn't technically broken any laws. Faking a disability to get a quilt is low on their priority list. I'm totally side-eyeing this, though. I mean, if this was a dude infiltrating some fantasy football charity league and he fraudulently posed as a cancer patient to get a signed Tom Brady TB12 jersey, I think they would have taken that jabroni down before their first coffee break at Dunkin' Donuts. So no, this case was no match for the FBI. Sarah's victims are going to need to go bigger. Time to call Dr. Phil. The results are a mixed bag. Sarah DeLashmit and many of the folks she victimized go on the Dr. Phil show. It brings the story into the national spotlight and spreads awareness of Sarah to people who had known or had unproven suspicions that she was faking her issues for attention. Even more of her lies come out, including the claim that her premature disabled son had been kidnapped. For the love of St. Pizza, this woman crossed every lie line there is. I have links to the Dr. Phil episode in my newsletter this week. It's a bizarre watch. I was honestly getting really queasy viewing it and just totally ready to get off this roller coaster. At the end of the show, Dr. Phil offers to cover treatment expenses for Sarah. She agrees and goes to a facility for help. That's it, right? Happily ever after party? Nah, she checks herself out before the show even airs. But then, thankfully, she's caught illegally acquiring marathon bikes over the internet. In 2021, she's sentenced to 18 months incarceration and three years supervision. She was released after 11 months in 2022. I haven't seen any updates since then. I hope with my whole heart she stops hurting people. But I still have my bingo card ready. Stories like Sympathy Pains are why I am fascinated by true crime. Before hearing this, I never in my wildest thoughts could have imagined someone out there would be capable of doing the things that Sarah did. I mean, faking a disability, going to summer camp, and allowing people to bathe you? Now I know there's a whole category of people with this compulsion to fabricate symptoms of illness for attention. It's called Munchausen Syndrome. 15% of people with Munchausen syndrome are in the medical field. Information is power and you can use this to protect yourself, to be on the lookout for warning signs of this bizarre form of predation. I'm also so grateful to the amazing people who came forward and shared their experiences. Sympathy Pains also has me grappling with what can we do as a society for someone like Sarah? 
There's no excuse for what she did, but Sarah DeLashmit and others like her have a clear mental illness. Is there any effective form of rehabilitation for Sarah? Is jail the answer? Maybe internet jail? Is there any deterrent in existence that can stop someone with such a strong compulsion to lie? What if Sarah was your family member, your sister, your daughter that you loved? How in the world can you help someone who can't feel empathy? Seriously, these questions can be asked of so many true crime stories. What is the goal here? I need some answers, y'all, or at least an emotional support corgi, okay? Email me directly at Angela at thetruecrimefeed.com. All emails are read, not all can be replied to. Or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Stay tuned after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Hey, True Crime Feed listeners, I have a teensy little ask of you. I need your help to grow my audience so I can keep the stories coming. So I'm asking you to take a moment and share True Crime Feed with five friends you think will enjoy the show. Like a fun, awesome pyramid scheme, but you still get to hang on to your money. Cool. And if you want extra gold stars, go to Apple Podcasts and write a review for True Crime Feed. I am an independent one woman show, and you taking a moment to do this will help me grow and compete with the big networks out there. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now back to the show. And we're back. Before we start the official ranking, I wanted to mention I finished Bear Brook Season 2. It fell off my top three this week, but it was still a great listen. It's no fault to Jason Moon, but it's just really hard to finish the series without a satisfying resolution. Plus, it's got to be hard for him to top the moon landing of Bear Brook Season 1. But I'm sure Jason Moon has it in him for future stories. Now, on to the ranking. Here are the three shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have Girl in the Blue Mustang. When 18-year-old Michelle O'Keefe is found murdered in her shiny new blue Mustang in a California parking ride, investigators encounter a confusing crime scene and a witness who seems to know too much. In Dateline's latest original podcast series, Keith Morrison takes us into the high desert outside of Los Angeles for a story featuring twists, turns, and a sharp-eyed Dateline viewer who steers the case in an entirely new direction. No spoilers, but I just finished episode five, and oh my gosh, what this family has gone through. Sarah DeLashman couldn't even make this up. And in the meantime, I'm still dying to know who the alternative suspect is. Keep them coming, Keith Morrison. At the number two spot, we have witnessed Devil in the Ditch. Just because the police can't solve a murder doesn't mean other people won't find someone to blame. In season four of Witnessed, Devil in the Ditch, journalist Larison Campbell returns to her Mississippi hometown to re-examine one of its most notorious unsolved cold cases, the murder of her grandmother, Presh. What happens when a family and a community suspect one of their own? Really cool angle on a true crime story, right? And I love seeing a podcast cover new ground like this. 
you will get hooked. Tune in. And the number one show of the week, we have You Didn't See Nothing. Part investigation and part memoir, You Didn't See Nothing follows Johans Lacour as he revisits the story that introduced him to the world of investigative journalism and examines how its ripple effects have shaped his life over the past quarter of a century. I know, I know, I'm super late to the party on this one. I think the final episode dropped at the beginning of March, but I was hearing such good things, I wanted to really set a whole chunk of time to actively close listen to this show. I've listened to the whole series twice. It's incredible. Johans is a brilliant storyteller and a fun audio hang. So many true crime stories are being told from an outsider's perspective, and you can't get more inside than Johans. You Didn't See Nothing is destined to be in the canon of the best true crime podcasts of all time. So let's keep spreading the word on this groundbreaking show. Now for my miss of the week. We have Faith on Trial Hillsong. From humble beginnings in a suburban Sydney warehouse to an international Pentecostal powerhouse, Hillsong has changed the world around it, counting politicians, business tycoons, and A-list celebrities among its true believers. Talking to one of those who has since turned her back on Hillsong, reporter Stephen Drill found himself asking, how did the church get so powerful? Great subject matter, terrible execution. This is juicy stuff. I should be captivated by the podcast or at least be able to follow along, but not the case with this show. I was listening along while folding laundry and my attention kept wandering to playing matchmaker with my socks. I heard there's a docu-series about Hillsong coming out on FX, I think this spring. So I'm going to watch that instead and send Faith on Trial Hillsong down my podcast queue trapdoor. Find out next week what show will be at the number one spot. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show fell through your podcast queue trapdoor. I'll also be back here dusting off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feed fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to listen to True Crime Feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding. I love a scandal. To watch the world burn and lose their minds after finding out the fine print eliminated another's entitlement. Or an ironic twist where a saint becomes a Satan. I especially love it when this involves those within the third sector. For years the greedy and evil have hidden behind the good name charity for too long. I myself, a witness to these wrongdoings, decided to create a podcast to uproot their stories buried just a little too soon in the archive. Uncharitable is a narrative, storytelling podcast about true crimes and questionable practices related to that third sector. So join me, host Odea, as I attempt to smoke out the walls that dress in a sheep's clothing. 
seek us wherever you find your podcasts or consider contributing to the community on Instagram, Reddit or X.